Tonight, I would like to continue where we left off last week, and that was, last week I was busy dealing with some elements of Jesus Christ being the Son of, of Man. And I want to deal with it a little bit further tonight, because I think that if we understand this correctly, and we get this thing sorted out in our heart, and I did not even shout, um, we are going to change a huge perspective in our lives with regards to the way we read the Bible, the way we see Christianity, and the way we walk. Okay, so I want to just quickly give you a recap. I'm not going to go repeat uh, last week's thing. I just want some key scripture for you. I want you to turn to John chapter 5 quickly, and this is the fundamental scripture that we are going to base everything off. Now, I want you to go and have a look. The Bible mentions the word Son of Man so many times in the Bible. And there's countless times in the New Testament, and it's mainly in the New Testament that you're going to find it, because that's where Jesus was. Okay, But there are references in Ezekiel and a few other places in Psalms where we read about the Son of Man. Now I want you to make this make it very clear to you that there is a big difference between the Son of Man and the Son of God. Okay, The Son of God speaks about Jesus Christ in His full power before He left heaven. When He came back, before He left heaven, with the power that He had, all the authority that He had, as well as when He gets it back, when He goes back to heaven. Okay, Then we're speaking about the Son of God. But whenever you speak about a Son of Man, you are talking about a natural human being walking on this earth that has supernatural power. Now let me explain to you what I mean by that. In John chapter 5, and we see first in verse 19, and this is Jesus Christ, and Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, that that the Son can do nothing of Himself. Now I mean, that is a shocking statement, to think that Jesus Christ could do absolutely nothing by Himself. See, what Jesus Christ did, He did two things. One is, He saw what the Father did, and He copied it. And the second thing that He did was, He was full of the Holy Spirit, and He started to operate with power. Now, like I've taught you many times, and I need you to understand this and get this in your heart. There are two key elements that you need in your Christian walk. Number one is, you need faith. I need to be able to trust God and bring things from the supernatural into the natural. I need to be able to tap into the supernatural and bring it into the natural. And that's all that Jesus did while He was on earth. He would bring things from the supernatural into the natural. Now what do I mean by that? Whatever Jesus needed, He would just go and fetch it from the supernatural and bring it into the natural. He would just say, listen, this person needs a healing, so I'll go and fetch it and I'll bring it here and I'll give it to the person. If this person, if I need finance to pay the tax man, I'll go and fetch it and tell him to go and get, the fish has got the money, go and get it out there. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus was teaching us how to operate as somebody who could operate with faith. But at the same time, Jesus also operated with power. You know, whenever you'd sit down and walk, there would be so much power around him that people would get healed just by touching his clothes. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? Jesus didn't even pray for her. He wasn't even trying to release power. But her faith, her trust in God was so much, her desperation was so much, that she pulled on that and said, God, I'm going to get a miracle no matter what. And she did. She got the miracle that she needed just by touching Him. So the two things we need to understand and grow into, number one is faith, and number two is the power. 
If we get those two right, we are going to see mighty miracles a lot more than we've ever seen in our lives before happening in our lives. So I want us to get this thing right today. So I want you to see how Jesus walked on this earth as an example for us. Because I got taught, be like Jesus because He is our top example. And I almost got this picture, you're never going to get there. Come on, whoever felt like you're never going to get like Jesus, he was just like my try. If you get there like 5% in your whole life, you're lucky. Come on, some of us 1%. You know, if we just like do something right, we're happy. But yet, Jesus says, listen, it is not impossible for you to walk like me. I want to show you some key things that Jesus Christ did as a man, and then what He gave to the church to do exactly the same. And I'm not going to go through a lot, I'm going to use a few examples tonight, just so that you can see what I'm talking about. Let's start off with this one. The biggest thing for the Jews at the time, and this is the thing that made them the, the most mad, was the fact that Jesus Christ could forgive sin. They hated the idea that Jesus Christ could forgive somebody's sin. They go, how dare you say that? Because only God can do that. He goes, well, I'm a son of God, so I carry that authority, so I'll do the same. So I will forgive sin. So let's go and read in Matthew chapter uh, 9, verse 6. Matthew chapter 9, verse 6. And please, when you come to these sessions, bring a notepad and pen, because I'm giving you stuff that you have to go home and go and study it up, okay? And go and see that I'm, I'm teaching you the right stuff. Verse 6. It says this. Um, okay, let's go back a little bit. Verse 3. And one some of the scribes said within, Who's this man? Okay, let's go verse 2. Where did he start? When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paraplegic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And one some of the scribes uh, spoke amongst themselves and said, Listen, this man is, is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, Why do you have evil in your hearts? Is it not easier to say your sins are forgiven you, or say arise and walk? But for you to know that I am the Son of Man, has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paraplegic, Arise and take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed and went to his house. So here Jesus Christ goes, He says, I forgive your sin. He did not say, God forgives your sin. I have the power to forgive your sin. Now, God says, listen, I'm sending Jesus Christ to be an example to every single believer that can do exactly what He does. If Jesus can do something, you can do it too. So then, okay, here Jesus comes and He forgives sin. Did you know that you as a Christian have the power to forgive sin? Check it, John chapter 20. I need you, I'm going to show you some things here that as Jesus did, we must do, okay? John chapter 20. Verse 23. Alright, verse 22. Now this is where the disciples get born again. And Jesus comes and he, and he speaks to them and He lays hands on them and listen to what He says. When He said to them, He breathed then on them and He said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is where they get born again, after Jesus has been raised. Okay, so He's got the disciples together in a room. They're all fearful, hiding away. And He breathes on them and He says, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is where you say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. 
as we do in church today. The minute you say that, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Because you'll read the same bunch, is sitting later on after Jesus went to heaven, sitting in the book of Acts chapter 2, they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and power. So they, yeah, they get born again. So now they're born again in verse 22. Verse 23, it says, If you forgive the sins of any... They are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So what's he saying? The same power and authority that I had to forgive sins, I'm now giving all of you. Anybody who's born again has that power. So what's Jesus saying? I want you to see that as I walked on this earth, whatever I did, you have exactly the same rights and power to do what I did. Now if you start seeing that, your Christian walk is going to change. It is going to change radically. All of a sudden, you're going to go, listen, I have got power to push any sickness away. I have got power to raise the dead. I have got power to deliver people. I have got power to bring in new business into my business. I have got power to sit down and call um, injustice in my family back into order. I have got an authority to change anything that I need to change, including the weather. You see, not every storm is godly. A storm that will come and just come and wet the ground and everything and you know, just bring things in order is fine. But then there's a devastation that comes through. You will not tell me that a tsunami is godly. Killing people, destroying everything. And the Christians should be able to sit down and say, I bind that thing in Jesus' name. I command it to stop and it must stop. But we're not there because we don't even think that way. We rather go, okay, well, let's get a helicopter or planes ready so that when the national disaster comes, we'll go feed the people. I'm not saying that it's wrong to do that. But let me tell you something. There are many times when we see storms and stuff coming or natural disasters coming, and we're actually warned before it hits. The Christians should start turning that thing around in Jesus' name. Okay? The second thing that happens in Acts chapter nine, Acts chapter seven, we see that Jesus Christ then goes to the right hand of the Father. What did I say? That's right. Acts chapter seven. I want you to see what happens to Jesus now. Acts chapter seven, and this is the story of Stephen when he gets stoned. Verse fifty-five. As he's getting stoned, this is what he sees. Acts chapter 7 verse 55. And he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So we see that Jesus Christ is standing at the right hand of the Father. Now that is a sign or a seat or a position of authority. Whoever's on the right hand of the person carries the authority. In today's society, it would be like um, a deputy president. You've got the president, the right hand man. We talk about who's your right hand man. Have you heard that statement? Who's the person that helps you, who's second in charge? In the army, it would be who's your 2IC? Who's the second in charge? Okay, And when you speak about the right hand, it's always somebody of authority. Like Pharaoh's right hand was Joseph when he promoted him. Okay, So your right hand is a person who carries the second rank of authority. Now Jesus Christ carries that second rank of authority. But now look at Ephesians chapter 2. Let's quickly go there. Ephesians chapter 2. I know that I'm giving you a bit of scripture, but I want you to get this. 
Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. Let's make it verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. So in other words, we got saved because of Jesus Christ. Alright, we all sinned, we all messed up, we all made mistakes, and now we get saved. Remember, just like the disciples. They received the Holy Spirit and they got saved. We now get saved because we now accept Jesus Christ. The minute you accept Jesus Christ, look what happens. Verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay? So now we are seated in Christ Jesus. Where is Jesus sitting? The right day. And what does that mean practically? He sits as the two I see, the second in charge of everything. Right? So where's the body of Jesus Christ? We are in the same position. We carry the same authority that Jesus Christ does. So I want you to see that everything that Jesus did on this earth, He did it as an example to you to go and follow. Let me give you another analogy. If Jesus Christ is the head of the church, what are we? The body. Okay? The body gets instruction from the head. Your natural body gets instruction from your head, right? The head rules, the body does. We should be doing everything that the body, the head says. So if Jesus Christ says, go and do likewise what I've done, we should be doing exactly what He did. So if you understand this, I want you to get this clear. Everything has been sorted out for us on this earth. The Bible says we are supposed to have total dominion over this earth. If we do not have total dominion over this earth, it's not God's fault. It is our fault for one reason. We've been taught wrong. I never got taught that I have total authority over everything that happens in my house. I have total authority of everything that happens in my business. I have total authority that happens with my children and with my family. Everything like that. I mean, how many of you go, well, that's just life. Everybody gets sick. Well, it's just winter. It's a change of season. So it's normal. Come on, everybody's, that's what I hear all the time. And guess what? It is the most ungodly thing because the Bible says you shouldn't have any sickness in your house ever. If it comes, you fight it and you scoop it out of there as fast as possible. Why is it that we tolerate this stuff when Jesus didn't? Okay, let me ask you, show me one scripture where Jesus got sick. Did the people get sick around him? The people got sick all around him all the time. There were always sick people around him. In other words, it wasn't like Jesus was in a culture where nobody got sick. Come on, think about it. It wasn't like it was a nice climate, nobody ever got sick and everything was fine. The Bible says that there were so many sick around him that they couldn't contain it all. And so I want you to know that we are living a substandard life simply because we never got taught how to live a better one. I never got taught that I can do exactly what Jesus Christ did. If I understood this and got this thing in my belt, that said, if Jesus can do it, I can do it too. And you know, every time somebody thought of that idea, they got it right. Peter, Lord, if it's you, I'm also coming. Just say, come, I'm going. I'm going to walk on the water too. The only thing that dumb old Peter did was look at the waves. If he didn't look at the waves, he would have been fine. You know, that's what I loved about him, is he does stuff and thinks later. 
Yeah, I'll just do it and then we'll figure it out on the way. That impulsive nature actually got him to do something that nobody else did. No other disciple in the entire book walked on water. And this is the thing that I have always been amazed about. Many of the Old Testament saints understood this more than the Christians do today. They understood that if God says something, I can do stuff on this earth. They understood their dominion over the earth. A lot of the old prophets could do stuff. I mean, look at this. Elijah and them, when they're walking past, and the oak's busy you know, chopping wood, and his axe head falls into the, into the river. And there goes his livelihood. No problem to him. He just prays and there floats the axe head and goes and gets it back for the oak. He says, no, yeah, you can carry on. How many times have you looked in the Bible and looked at the miracles of the Old Testament of guys who did stuff supernaturally? Even the king. Remember Hezekiah, the story of Hezekiah? The prophet comes to him and says, listen, Hezekiah was supposed to be dead and he starts pleading to God. He said, God, I don't want to die. I'm sorry, I repent. Give me a few more years. Prophet comes to him and says, okay, Hezekiah, you can live longer. Say, three days, you'll be fine. He says, well, give me a sign to prove it three days. So the prophet goes, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to move the sun so many degrees to the uh, forward in time or backward in time? What do you want me to do? The prophet asks him, do you want me to move the whole planets around just to prove to you? To read it, it says that. When he says you move the degrees, it's actually moving the sun because that's how they measure it. He says, do you want me to go move the whole weather pattern, everything for you? Joshua, in a fight, says, listen, I want to lose this war. He stops the sun, the entire universe, he holds it until he wins a fight. Guys, we are far off what we should be doing. You know, we are sitting down thinking it's a big miracle if we can just get somebody healed in our house. Or we think it's a miracle when we chuck the devil out of our house. And God's going, I want you to have dominion over the whole earth. I want this earth to be under your control, total control. If you say something goes, it goes. The Bible says if you lose something, it's loosed in heaven. If you bind something on earth, it's bound in heaven. What you do in the natural gets released and propagated in the spiritual. Remember, I taught you that whatever you loose in the spirit, you can draw it in to the natural. The spirit always controls the natural. But God made us a promise. He says, if you loose it here, I will bind it in the spirit. Loose it in the spirit. If you bind it in the natural, I will bind it in the spirit for you. How's that for a promise? The thing that controls this universe is in your hand. And guess what? I never got taught that. I'm going, I've been scammed. I am far of what the Bible intends us to be. That's when Jesus Christ said, if you've got faith, you can make this mountain. Let me tell you something. It's not such a big deal to move a mountain if you can stop planets. Come on. If I can make the sun stand still, I think that's a bigger deal than moving a mountain into the sea. And then Jesus just walks by, checks a fig tree, curses it, goes on, comes back, says that it's dead. Not even surprised. Everybody else is surprised. Everything Jesus did was not an issue. What is Jesus' biggest fight with his disciples all the time? 
He of little faith. He of little faith. Why don't you catch this thing? I'm showing you what you can do. Do what I do. Copy me and you'll have the same results. The only time they really got excited was when the devils were subject to them. In my opinion, if I was there when he fed the 5,000, it's one thing for Jesus to sit down and feed the 5,000 and have the miracle happening. It's another thing when it's happening in my hand. You know, Jesus gave the disciples the bread and says, you feed them. Why did he do that? He says, I want you to see the miracle. I want you to see that in your hand it's happening. As I do it, you can do it too. And we are not seeing that. We do not see whatever Jesus did is an example for us. We are not seeing whatever Jesus said is an example for us. If He can forgive sins, I can forgive sins. If He can chuck out devils, I can chuck out devils. If He can heal the sick, I can heal the sick. If He can have control over every, every element. I love this idea. When Jesus Christ said, listen, I'm going to go and die. I'm now going to lay my life down. It's time to die now. I'll go die. I love that concept. Nobody's going to take my life. Nobody's going to take my life because I have the authority to keep my life until I finish the plan. When I am ready, I will sit down and say, it's time to go now. Then then I can die. Paul had the same thing. He, He writes to Timothy and he says, listen Timothy, I have finished the race. I have completed everything that I was meant to do. I've done what I'm meant to do. It's time to go now. I'm going to Jerusalem. And remember that on the way to Jerusalem, the prophetesses all got together and they prophesied of him and said, God says that if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound, you're going to be tortured, you're going to be killed, everything else. And Paul goes, what? I am compelled to go. He still goes, even though the word says he's going to die. Most of us would go, listen, this is trouble. We're not going there. We're going somewhere else. Paul goes, no, it's time. I'm finished my race. How did he know how far he must go? When he was blind for three days, the Bible says that God showed him everything he had to go through. He knew exactly how far to go. He knew, when, he knew what his race was. He knew when the start was and what the finish was. When he got to the finish, he says, Okay, I surrender my life. I'm going to go and get martyred now because there's a better reward for me in the afterlife. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. You see, we have fallen so short of this thing and we are allowing the devil to take total control of everything. The Son of Man is Jesus Christ, who is our example to show us what we are capable of doing if we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we have faith. So I want to challenge everybody. Don't fall for a second-rate gospel. Don't fall for a second-rate thing. And you know what happens? If the Bible says that Jesus Christ became poor so we can become rich, it means it. It means it. And don't get this idea that we are here just to suffer and endure and just make it and God's going to give me some pressure and trials. Excuse me, the persecution is because you should be carrying so much power and authority in your life, not because you are a defeated little Christian. I do not see when the disciples in that were defeated and they had this, this woe is me attitude that anybody was coming after them. Remember when, they, when the disciples were hiding away after Jesus died? Do you see any soldier hunting them down? 
Did anybody go and look for them? Oh, woe is us, we're not even worthy. Oh, Peter says, no, well, stuff this lot. I'm going back to go catch fish. I'm not even going to hang around. I'm out of here. The others were still trying to lick their wounds and going, okay, we're all scared of the soldiers that are running around. There was no soldiers looking for the disciples. But what happened in the book of Acts? When they started moving with power and might, they got persecuted all the time. I mean, the world woke up to this light and said, listen, I mean, Paul's job was to go kill him. He was the biggest guy out to attack the church. Why? Because they became a threat because of the power that they carried. The Bible says that when the church came to town, the fear of the town hit them. I want to see a church that is so much, carries so much authority and power that wherever they go, they cause a stir. You know, word like when, when Paul and Silas were in prison. Remember when they were busy singing at midnight and the whole place shook and you know the whole story of the Philippians thing. I mean that's where the church of Philippi got, Philippians got born. There are a bunch of buchus that were rocked up and there comes Paul and he starts praying and singing at midnight. The whole place gets radically changed. I mean the power of God was so strong none of them ran away. They all hung out there. I mean, in South Africa, if the doors open up, you're not going to find those oaks in three seconds. <laughs> I'm telling you what. But there they all are. What kept them there was the power and the presence of God. And they all got born again. That's why when he wrote the Philippians, he says, We were common guys in chains. All us guys in the muhu in the cells, were all there. But I want to tell you this. That experience or that demonstration of power spread all over the place. They can't even put these Christians in jail. What are you going to do with these Christians? Wherever they go, there's just absolute pandemonium and the power of God moving and we can't sit down and contain and control them anymore. And then what's even worse, here comes Saul, our lead runner, someone goes and joins him. And then he was very clever because every time he got caught by the Jews, he'd say, listen, I'm a Roman, you can't mess with me. He gets caught by the Romans, he says, hey, I'm a Jew, okay, can't mess with him. He wangled himself all the time out of these things. The thing that I'm saying is this, is do not settle for second best anymore. And I want us to start looking at the word differently. And saying, Lord Jesus, I thank you for doing this. I thank you for demonstrating the power in your life so that I know what I can have. I can have it in the same measure that Jesus Christ did. The only difference between me and Jesus, the only difference on this earth, is what? What is it? Is what? Okay, he's the firstborn. What's the biggest difference that I don't see the power operating like him in, in my life? Pardon? Unbelief. Unbelief. Faith. If I trust God like Jesus trusted the Father, I will never have an issue. Ever. I will never panic. If my, if my job crashes today, I will not panic. I'll say, God, I think I'm getting a new assignment. My source is in the Lord Jesus Christ, not in my job. Not in what I'm doing in business. None of these things is based on anything other than God leading my path and showing me what I should do. Holy Spirit, show me, guide me, direct me. I am blessed and my company is the blessed company because I'm here. 
The company is blessed because I'm here. The blessing is upon my life. Wherever I go, there must be light, there must be life, there must be prosperity, there must be a flow. Wherever my foot shall tread, God has given it to me, and therefore I will make a difference just because I rocked up. See, when we start seeing that, we will start changing the way that we do business. I was speaking to somebody today and they said that their family that are in business said sometimes they don't have time to get spiritual about stuff. They just have to get practical. That is the most ungodly thing that you can do. You have to get more spiritual and say, God, what do you want? God, the dumbest thing that looks to man could be the biggest thing that can change, turn an economy around or turn a nation around and bring everything else in order. You see, if we understand that we carry the authority to turn the economy around, we carry the authority to turn the atmosphere around, everything that is happening comes from the spirit realm. And if we get that thing, that's why Jesus Christ had no issue wherever He went, it just changed. The only time where He could not do miracles was in His own town because of the unbelief. Unbelief is the only thing that's going to stop you from operating. And remember, the miracles were not the natural things of the planet. It was to the people. Okay, it had to do with the people, not against the elements. Jesus Christ had no problem changing whatever elements He wanted. So I want us to get this in our hearts. How does this help me? Let me show you. I need to understand... That I am seated in an authority position that controls this entire planet. In fact, the entire universe if I have to stop the planet to do something. I have to now get two things in order. One, I have to start developing my faith in the Word. If the Word says I can do it, it settles it. Number two, I have to develop the power and the flow of the Spirit. How do I do these things? If I want to develop my faith... There's the four steps that I've taught you. I'll write them down quick if you don't have them. One, get a scripture. Two, get a revelation. Three, come, once you've got the revelation, you've got to claim it. Remember I said, you've got to claim it out of the spirit into the natural. Alright? Number four, you've got to thank God and walk in that thing. Thank God every single day. Alright, you got that. That's how I develop faith. Alright, so what I like, somebody you made a comment this week that I really enjoyed. They said, what is your go-to scripture? Now what, I love that terminology. What's my go-to scripture? In other words, if I'm sick, what scripture do I go to? To get my faith up. So there's my scripture for my thing. For my business, what's my go-to scripture? For my marriage, what's my go-to scripture? For my children, what's my go-to scripture? Do you understand? You've got to have faith set in word. The Bible says faith comes by hearing the word, nothing else. When I've got the word, I go, that's true. If I believe that's true, then I start calling it out of the spirit, and then everything in the natural has to take place. And if it's out of line, while I'm trusting God in faith, I start using power. When I use the power, how does the power work? The power works, I pray in the Spirit. Paul says, I pray in tongues more than you all. When I pray in the Spirit, I develop the power. The more power I have, when I say, whatever I bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever I loose on earth is loosed in heaven. What is that doing in the practical? It means, whatever's influencing the natural by the spiritual, 
Remember I said everything on this earth is controlled by the Spirit. So let's take a practical example. I've got a rebellious child. Alright? There's a demonic spirit that is influencing my child. My faith has to step in and say, this is the word of the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve God. Right? So I say, God, here's my scripture. I believe that. I trust you for that. So here's my faith in operation. That is my promise I'm standing on. That is going to happen. I call that thing in. I lay claim of that thing in the spirit. I thank you that it's going to happen. On the other side, on power, I say, every devil in hell, I bind your works over my child. Every devil in hell that has come against my child, I cut off your power. You've got no more rights. I have authority as the father. I release the father's blessing over my child. I release an authority over them that they are protected. The blood of Jesus is there to protect them. And they carry on like that. That is the power while I'm standing in faith. Those two together will get us the victory that we need. Now you do that in every single area. God, I've got a business. What is happening in my business? God, you said that you delight in the prosperity of your children. You delight in the prosperity. I'm using one scripture. You should have a hundred of them. You go, I thank you that you delight in my prosperity. God, I don't have prosperity right now. This is junk. Your word says that I should be rich. I am not rich. So why am I not rich? Because I've been taught wrong. I've been taught, if it's your will. God says, well, here's my will. Don't you want what I have? I always do it like this. It's the best way to illustrate this to you. I buy you a new car and I give you the papers. I say, listen, you've got to go fetch it at the garage. Go to Mercedes-Benz and go fetch your Merc. Here's your papers for your car. You go, I don't believe this. As long as you sit here and stand with your papers, you'll never have your Merc. Do you understand? I'm giving you the promise. Here's the thing. Here's the evidence. It's yours. Take it. Go fetch your Merc. No, I don't believe this. I never had anything. I'm never going to have anything. Jesus comes and He goes, yeah. Here's your promise. You want it? Go fetch it. And we go to God. If it's your will, God goes, I'm not going to do anything. God is not going to do anything left. There's nothing for God to do. When Jesus Christ stood there and He says, It is finished. It is clear. He's not going to do a thing more. Nothing. I mean, that is hardcore. Yeah. I got taught, we got to plead before God. If it's God's will, He'll really give it to you if it's good or not. The Bible does not say anywhere near that we should be struggling. If we understand how to release the principles and flow in faith, every one of these guys in the Bible were flippin' wealthy. They did not suckle. David did not worry about where his bread and butter was coming from. Paul, all of them, they, none of them worried. We've got this idea that they were all poor in the New Testament, rubbish. It was one bunch of guys who decided they're going to just sell everything and make everything communal in, the, in, in Jerusalem. That did not even say that it was done by the Holy Spirit. Do you know that for the rest of the time they were the poorest church and Paul went around going to collect all the offerings. You'll read in Paul's letters, he says, I'm coming to fetch the offering for Jerusalem. What do they do? Those oaks who went and did that communal thing, communist idea, went and became the poorest church. And Paul had to look after them for the rest of the time. It was never God's idea for them to sell all their land. 
God's idea is that you have more than sufficient. God's idea is that we should be abundantly full. That we should be blessed in every area of our lives. So you need to go and say, God, here's my list of areas that I need to get victory in. And God, every one of these, here's my go-to scripture for this. And in this area, here's my faith and here's my power. In this area, here's my faith, here's my power. I want to close with one more thing. You want to learn another thing. Are you learning something? Did you guys ever get taught this stuff? I never got taught this stuff. Did you? You had a good teacher. I want to show you this. Jesus Christ had authority over angels, okay? In Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 41. The Son of Man will send out His angels. I want you to see this. It does not say the Son of God. It does not say Jesus in His glorified being. It says the Son of Man, as He is like we know Him, full of power, will send out His angels. Where are we? Verse 41. They will gather out of His kingdom all things that are that offend. And those who practice lawlessness. Okay, now this is a prophecy coming towards the end time. It's a parable that he was talking about. Okay? But I want you to see something here. It says that the Son of Man is going to send out His angels. We have got angels assigned to us. Not one. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 1. If Jesus Christ has got angels, so do I. Verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Who will inherit salvation? Everybody who is born again. So now you've got a whole bunch of angels busy ministering on your behalf for you. If Jesus Christ could send out His angels to go and sort out stuff, you can send out angels to sort out your stuff. The only catch is how do I get angels to do something? Jesus Christ did not command angels. I want you to see that. Nowhere in the New Testament did Jesus command angels. The only time the Bible says that angels work on your behalf is when you quote the word. That when you quote the word, it releases the angels to do the work. When we pray and use the word, the angels go and do the work on our behalf. You have got a horde of angels ready to go and do work for you. And this is the part that I really enjoy. And I want you to understand the power that we're moving into. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 3, it says this, Do you not know that we as Christians should judge angels? It says this, How much more the things that pertain to this life? I want to close with this. If you are going to sit down and judge angels one day, and line them up and say, listen, did you do what you were meant to do? When that person prayed the word, did they do that? You can line up all the angels that were meant to go and fight on your behalf, and you can go and check to see if they've done a good job. 
The Bible is saying that we, Jesus Christ has got angels that have been sent out on His command. We have to release those angels when we release the word. But we are going to judge angels one day. But this is what I like. He says, if you don't know that you're going to judge angels, how much more can you sort out the stuff that pertains to the normal life that you're living? So if you're going to sort out angels who are created beings, who are the created, whether good or bad now, okay, whether the fallen angels or the good angels, the Bible says that they're the ones that control the supernatural. Now let me rephrase it like this. You are going to judge the supernatural realm. How much more shouldn't you be judging and sorting out the natural realm? If the supernatural controls the natural. Does that sound too heavy? Did you get that? If we are going to sort out the supernatural, we need to sort out the natural. So he says, how much more the things that pertain to this life? You need to sit down and say, listen, I judge my household in this thing. What does it mean to judge? Is it in order or not in order? Am I happy with it or not happy with it? That's what judging means. So now I look at this thing and I go, listen, is my business in order? Yes or no? Yes, it's going very well. God's blessing is there. Supernatural contracts are coming in. My people are happy. Everybody's doing well. Great. It's fine. How's my children? Are they in order? Yep, they're fine. They're doing well. Everything's fine. Alright, but there's sickness that keeps coming into my house. That's not in order. I judge that thing. I say, hey, that's not in order. That's against the word. That's against my promises. I judge that thing. I come on that thing. And I start stepping back to my go to scripture. I go back to my faith. And I go back to the power. And I start bringing that thing into order. And in the same vein, we then take it further. Once my whole household sorted out. My whole business is sorted out. My whole thing sorted out. We then take it to our province. And say, God, this city, is it in order? Is there power flowing in this thing? Is there anointing in this place? Is God's promise over this place working? If it's not, we start calling that stuff into order. We start doing it over our country. Do you understand? We are meant as the church to carry power. We are not meant to be sitting as weak as we are. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you right now for every single Christian. Lord, I thank you that from tonight we are not going to be the same. Lord, I thank you that you came as the Son of Man to show us your humanity and Lord, everything that we need to do on this earth. Father, I thank you that from tonight we are going to start getting stirred up and Lord, that we are going to start claiming back the land that has been stolen in Jesus' name. Lord, every single area in our lives and in our city and over our neighborhoods. Lord, that is not in order. I thank you that you have given us the power to turn it around in the natural. Lord, that if we bind something in the natural, that spiritual influence is bound in the name of Jesus. If we loose it in the natural, it is loosed in the spirit. Lord, I thank you that from today things are going to change in our lives, things are going to change in our homes, things are going to change in our city and in our nation. Father, we thank you for the power of God. We thank you for the blessing. We thank you for the promises and we thank you for your will that has been given over our lives and I pray right now that the church of Jesus Christ will rise up and take their position and Lord we will use the authority that's been given us as the body of Christ and I pray right now Lord that we will never be the same again in Jesus mighty name Amen Amen. Praise the Hallelujah